If you're visiting the Bible Church today, maybe it's the very first time, we are really glad that you were led by the Lord to be here today. And if it's just for a morning, we just trust you uh, delight in Him and sharing time with us. If you are doing more than that, you may be looking for a church home. Um, please let us know how we can help you uh, learn more about our church family so that um, maybe this could be your church home. We would love that thought very much. Well, we certainly make the Bible uh, the centerpiece of our time as we worship together and uh, put that right in the middle of our name as well. So I'm going to ask you, if you would, to take your Bible and turn with me to the book of Acts this morning. For starters, Acts chapter 4. We're going to be all over the place today, but this will be kind of a starting place for us. If you need a Bible today, just raise your hand and we'll give you one. Um, that'll make your time more fruitful. There's a note page in your bulletin as well. It kind of looks like this. Um, grab that out of there if you would. Uh, that will be of some help along the way. And your note page lets you know that today we return once again to a, a study series that we began several weeks ago. Uh, the series is simply entitled One Another. And uh, we took a two-week break when I was off in Colorado and New Mexico on vacation. And, and uh, you guys did other things the last couple of weeks. But we're back into this now and stepping back into our series together today. By way of the quickest review, we have talked about how you and I are blessed to live in a great, great country. You agree? We are really blessed. But as, as great as our country is, ours is a country that is powerfully and deeply influenced by a philosophy built around the individual, an American culture, uh, an American worldview that highly esteems and highly values individualism. And individualism is defined as a belief in the primary importance of the individual and in the virtues of self-reliance and personal independence. Does that describe our culture? It pretty, does. it pretty much does. A belief in the primary importance of the individual and in the virtues of self-reliance and personal independence. And we like being characterized as a nation of innovators, and self-starters and pull yourself up by your bootstrappers and, and stand on your own two feet, do-it-yourselfers. We like all of those, those thoughts. And because, because such a philosophical, cultural orientation as this has some commendable attributes attached to it, most of us are reluctant to want to loosen our grip on it as a way of thinking about and doing life. However... Individualism as a cultural orientation, as a way of thinking and as a way of living, is completely missing from the pages of our Bibles. Agreed? It's just not there. The Holy Spirit, who put the heart of God on the pages of our Bibles, very deliberately, very purposefully removes every hint of the philosophy of individualism from the pages of Scripture. And it replaces it. The Holy Spirit replaces that philosophy with another one. A philosophy or a culture that we would call the culture of one anotherism. One anotherism. Now, what in the world is that, you might ask? Well, it's a two-word phrase that we made up because there wasn't a better phrase around that we could grab hold of. But it is essentially the very opposite of individualism. 
one anotherism replaces an orientation that favors words like I and me and my with other words like we and us and ours. One anotherism. And what does one anotherism look like? Well, it looks like this. It looks like the backside of your note page and those 40 one another's that are listed there. Your Bible contains no less than 40 different one another phrases. The Spirit of God has woven those into the fabric of the New Testament. If you just scan down this list and read them to yourself for a quick moment, you rapidly begin to get a sense of what one anotherism looks like. This, brothers and sisters, is what our Heavenly Father and the Lord Jesus and the Holy Spirit want for us as we live in community with each other here at Idlewell Bible Church. Residing deep within the heart of God is a desire to see every lover of Jesus living out their relationship with Him as a participating, fully engaged, functioning member of a local church family. And, and at the center of that local community of faith, loving Jesus like crazy is this, this cultural mindset, this, this value system, a way of thinking and living called one anotherism. Not even a trace of individualism, but a church family that's permeated and, and saturated and esteeming and practicing this, one anotherism, these 40 different things. It's the air that we want to breathe here at IBC. 40 different one another actions as followers of Jesus that we would practice with the same comfortableness, the same relaxedness, the same consistency that we practice breathing. We want to be doing one anotherism. As we do these one another's, as God enables us, not as we do them in our own strength, but as God enables us to do them, we strengthen the relational bonds that we have with one another. It draws us closer together as a church family. We grow up together spiritually. We don't remain baby Christians. We grow deeper into Jesus when we do these one another's. And we make visible and real in a very tangible way the person of Jesus to people around us who do not know him yet. They see Jesus when we do one another. Agreed? All of that is upside for us as we think about this series. So far, we've explored what loving one another and honoring one another and forgiving one another and bearing with and confessing to and praying for and spurring on one another. We've looked at what all of that looks like. Today, we take up another one another, one that is repeated several times in the New Testament, which tells us that it is a one another that we don't want to miss. Today, we want to learn more about encouraging one another. You suppose that's important for us to be doing, church family? Encouraging one another? Absolutely. And so, Heavenly Father, Lord Jesus, Holy Spirit, we just ask you now to open our eyes so that we see. We ask you to open our minds to be able to understand. We ask you to open our hearts to be able to embrace these truths and not just hear them, but do them. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. Well, you may not know her name, but I'm guessing that you are at least familiar with the organization that she founded, that she started. It's called Weight Watchers. 
Familiar with Weight Watchers at all? At least know the name? More than 50, <laughs> More than 50 years ago, Jean Nidech was a 214-pound homemaker who was desperate to lose weight. She went to the New York City Department of Health, where she was given a diet devised by one of their staff physicians. Two months later, totally discouraged by the way that she was not losing weight, Jean decided to invite six of her friends to her house. She revised the diet, and then she invited them to the house so that they could talk together about how they could stay on this diet and actually lose weight. That's how Weight Watchers was born. Today, more than a million members attend 250,000 Weight Watcher meetings in 24 countries every week. Why was Gene Nidich able to help people realize weight loss success? Why? To answer the question, she tells this story about herself. She says when she was a teenager, she used to walk through a park near her home where she would see young mothers who were chatting on the park benches while their children sat on the swings. But the moms were so interested in their conversations that the kids just sat on the swings. They couldn't swing. They needed to be pushed. And so she said, well, I, I would walk through the park, and I'd walk by the swings, and I would push the kids. And she says, you know what happens when you push kids on a swing? Pretty soon, they are swinging all by themselves. I figured out that that's what my role in life would be. I figured out that I am here to give others an encouraging push. Sometimes, fellow Christian, that's exactly what we need, too. Not to lose weight, but in many other ways, right? We need others in our lives to push us, to keep us focused on the things that are ultimately for our good. Within each of us, there is a war, there is a battle, there's a struggle, a fight, a contest. Whatever term you like best, there is an ongoing contest. Will I persevere or will I surrender? Will I go on or will I quit? Will I dare to do more or will I play it safe? Will I push to get better or I will, be, will I be content to simply coast? Even the smallest doses of encouragement from a friend, a, a family member, a co-worker, a Christian brother or sister can make all the difference in which way the contest goes, how the battle's going to turn out. Would you agree with that? Sometimes it's just a little word of encouragement that makes all the difference. Gene Nidech said, I figured out what my role is in life. I figured out that I'm here to give others an encouraging push. A push. Interesting choice of words, Gene, because that is actually one of the supporting ideas behind the meaning of the word encourage in our Bibles. On your note page. The word encourage in our Bibles comes from the first century Greek, Greek word parakaleo. Can you say that with me? Parakaleo. Para means alongside of. The word kaleo is the Greek word that means to call. You squeeze those two words together, you get a brand new Greek word, parakaleo, meaning to call to one's side. That's the idea, calling to one side. And it has this proactive element attached to it. You are the one who is doing the calling. You are the one who is coming alongside of another. You are the one who is going to be the encourager. And you are saying, as you come alongside of another, 
We can do, we can do this. We can do this. You can do this. And that being true, this word encourage then carries with it some, some other implied meanings that you also see there on your note page to comfort, to cheer up, to push forward, to urge on. And when we trace the etymology or the, the history and development of our English word encourage, we discovered that it has its roots in an old French word, encouragier. Encouragier. What does that mean? Well, it means to put courage into. We took our English word from that word, to put courage into. And that's a great way to think of the word encourage, isn't it? The idea of coming alongside of someone and and pouring courage, encouragement into them to help them keep going or to do more or to hold on or to look up or whatever is needed for that one that is, face, that is facing something in their life in a given moment. The word encourage appears in its various forms nearly 50 times in the New Testament, once again letting us know that this is one of the heavy hitters um, among the one another's. Why is that true? Well, because we all need it, right? We all need encouragement. Some days we need it more than others, but we all need to be encouraged. A health challenge crashes into our life. A death. A loss of a job. Kids who are in rebellion in our home. Afraid marriage. Financial upheaval, a desert time in our life spiritually where everything is just dry, a faithful a faith undermined by an unexplained doubt, fear real and crippling, haunting questions about where I stand with my God. Does he really love me, really love me after what I have just done? Whatever it may be, we all need encouragement. And we could probably do, we could probably use this encouragement way more than we would ever want to admit. Agreed? In fact, that's exactly right. We need encouragement way more than we would be inclined to admit. Life in this fallen world is hard, and we need encouragement. All of us do. Which also means that we need to be, what? Encouragers as well for one another. Here in this place, the need to be encouragers of one another is way greater than you and I might suppose. We look around and we think, why does everybody here have their life together except me? (laughs) And you laugh because you know that's not true, right? We don't have our lives together. None of us really do. We vastly underestimate the need of others as well as ourselves to be cheered up and to be inspired, comforted, defended, cried with, held, pushed forward, urged on. We vastly underestimate the need of one another to be encouraged. In fact, let me just ask you, is there anybody in this room right now who never needs to be encouraged? I see your hand because we want to spend a lot of time with you. (laughs) Not one of us raised our hand because we all need to be encouraged, which means we also need to be encouragers of one another. 
Years ago, two guys by the names of Larson and Miller wrote a book in which they described two different kinds of people. They called them basement people and balcony people. And it was so simple, which is what I really need for something to stick with me. It has to be really simple that I have never forgotten. Basement people and balcony people. What are basement people, you suppose? Well, basement people are, are folks who just look at life through a negative, critical lens. The glass is always going to be half empty. It's never half full. It's always half empty. They, they don't lift you up when you're with them. They bring you down. They live in the basement. They're the ones who will say, you can't do that. That's stupid. Or you're stupid. Or when will you ever get it right? Larson and Miller contend that all of us have basement people in our lives, either haunting us from the past, perhaps a parent who was a basement person, maybe a classmate, a boss, or we have someone in our life right now who is that for us. Basement people cause a room to light up when they leave, basically. That's, that's how it works with basement people. And you laugh because you know it's true, right? You know, and, and you know about basement people in your life. Some of us more, have more experience with that than others. The complete opposite of the basement person is the balcony people. These are the people who are full of encouragement, cheer others on to be loving and faithful and courageous, to, to never stop trying, to, to never stop growing. They help people keep going when it would be much easier just to give up. They sit in the balcony of our lives like a heavenly cheering section, and they're saying, you can do that. I believe in you. Remember, you did that before. I, I know you can do that again. If you want, we'll do it together. Go for it. You can make this happen. Get back on the horse. Your faith is strong. Trust. Don't doubt. You can do this. That's a balcony person talking. When Scripture repeatedly issues the call to you and me to be encouragers of one another, what it really is is a call for you and me to be what? Balcony people, right? That's the call. Balcony people. Because balcony people are the great encouragers in our lives. We need them, and we need to be them. A balcony person enabled a guy named Robert Manry to fulfill a lifelong dream. After 10 years at a desk as a copyright specialist, Manry took a leave of absence to fulfill his dream of sailing alone across the Atlantic Ocean from Massachusetts to Falmouth, England. If successful, his would be the smallest vessel up to that time to ever make that voyage across the Atlantic solo. Manry did not share his dream with many people. He was afraid of basement people <laughs> who would talk him out of it or try to. When he told his wife, Virginia, though, about his wild idea, she said, Go for it, Robert. Go for it. Do your dream. So on May 24, 1965, Manry and his 13-foot sailboat 
quietly slipped out of the Massachusetts Harbor. 78 days later, he nears the British coast, and he's expecting to quietly sail into Falmouth Harbor, hoping that after it's all over, he might be able to just find somebody who would be interested in his story enough to, to, to take it up and maybe turn it into a book, and he could offset some of his travel expenses. So when he sails into Falmouth Harbor, though, expecting nobody to be there, he could not believe his eyes. 40,000 people had turned out to welcome him into the harbor, and his wife, Virginia, was on the front of all of that. She was standing on the deck, having made known her husband's dream to the media after he had set sail. She was definitely a balcony person. He was married to a balcony person. In the New Testament, there's not a better example for us of a balcony person than a guy by the name of Barnabas. You know the name? Barnabas. What you may not remember about Barnabas is that that's not his real name. That's not his given name. You know what his given name was? His given name was Joseph. And we're told that in Acts chapter 4, verse 36. That's, your Bible is open to that place right now. Because Joseph, who had given his life to Jesus Christ in saving faith, was such an encourager of others in his church in Jerusalem, the leaders of the early church gave him a brand new name. They gave him the name Barnabas. And do you know what the name Barnabas means? Son of encouragement. <laughs> yeah, son of encouragement. How cool is that? Your church family changes your name because you are such a balcony person. Love that thought. Now, if you know Barnabas' story at all, you know that God literally gives Barnabas to the Apostle Paul in the early years of his ministry. He gives him a balcony person, personally dedicated to him. If the Apostle Paul needed an encourager full-time, what does that say to you and I about the place of encouragement in your life, my life, and the need for encouragers? We all need them. When Paul comes to faith in Jesus in Acts chapter 9, everyone in Jerusalem is afraid when they hear that news. They, they don't want anything to do with Paul, thinking that his conversion is simply a ploy by Paul to infiltrate the church so he can learn who the leaders are and then take out the leaders and end this thing called the Church of Jesus. So nobody wants anything to do with Paul. But Barnabas, Barnabas comes alongside of Paul, we are told, encourages him, and he goes to the church leaders. He assures the church leaders, Peter and James and the others, that Paul is truly a changed for Jesus follower, and the church embraces him simply on the merits and the recommendation of Barnabas. What an encourager. From the moment that Paul's life in Jesus begins, Barnabas is there. He sticks with Paul. The two join forces on the first missionary journey ever to the non-Jewish world. It will be Barnabas who will come alongside of Mark when Mark becomes the first missionary dropout. Remember this? And, and, and Barnabas comes alongside of him and gets him back on track. And then Mark will go on to 
write the Gospel of Mark, and, and it will be Mark who will later care for Paul in prison along with Barnabas. And had Barnabas not been there as a balcony person for Paul and for Mark and for many others, who knows how their stories would read today. They could be very different stories were it not for the encourager in their life. He did encouragement so well that the early church changes his name from Joseph to Barnabas. I like that thought. I like that thought. I would like to be a modern-day Barnabas. How about you? I would like that thought. I would like my name to be changed from Tim to Barnabas. might be a little hard to get used to writing that out, but I would like that. And I would like that for us, church family. I, I, I would wish for IBC to be known as a place that is filled with balcony people, even though we don't have a balcony. Maybe we could be rafter people. I like balcony people better. That sounds better. In our Bibles... What does encouragement look like? What does, what does it look like when you're a balcony person and you're doing that? What forms will encouraging one another take on? Well, that's what we want to do with the remainder of our time is answer that, that question. While the full answer to that question goes way beyond the scope of the time that we have, on that note page there are four encouraging passages that we're going to take a look at briefly, realizing that these four passages represent a number of other passages where the same call to, courage, to encouragement uh, is rela- related or reflected. So these are going to cover a lot of other verses that we won't be looking at this morning. The first one comes out of Paul's letter to the Thessalonians. And so if you will leave the book of Acts now, run to the right in your Bible till you find the book of Colossians. That's the book right before 1 Thessalonians. You want to be there in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. What comes after 1 Thessalonians? All right, so if you're in 2 Thessalonians, run back to the left. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 11, we read this. Love hearing those Bible pages turn. Therefore, encourage one another and build each other up, just as in fact you are doing. Here, the form for our encouragement of one another takes uh, as we come alongside one another, takes this, this, this form. I want you to never stop growing spiritually, and I'm going to do everything I can to help you grow. That's the encouragement. I want you to grow deeper into Jesus. Therefore, encourage one another and build each other up in Jesus, just as, in fact, you are doing. I am to always be encouraging Present tense verb there in this verse. It's present tense. It never stops. It's ongoing action. I encourage you to go deeper and deeper and deeper into your Savior. And you are to do that for me, says this verse. And in this particular context, Paul is speaking um, to his believing friends in Thessalonica, and he's talking about the challenges of living for Jesus in a dark and sinful world. If we back up to verse 8... Here's the larger thought that Paul has. Here's what he says. Since we belong to the day, in other words, since we belong to Jesus, let us be self-controlled, putting on faith and love as a breastplate, the hope of salvation as a helmet, 
For God did not appoint us to suffer wrath, but to receive salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ. He died for us so that whether we are awake or asleep, we may live together with him. Therefore, encourage one another and build each other up, just as in fact you are doing. My encouragement of you and your encouragement of me should always move us into a greater spiritual growth, into greater spiritual maturity. My encouragement of you should not consist of just fluff. How you doing? Oh, I'm doing fine. You doing good? Good, good. We're good. When I'm engaged in your encouragement in this way, this 511 way, I'm going to be helping you to move farther down the road in your walk with Jesus. That's the kind of encouragement that we are to be practicing. Building each other up really clarifies what Paul was thinking. To give you a better feel for what building each other up looks like, would you leave Thessalonians now, run back to the left until you find the book of Ephesians. I told you we'd be moving around a little. Ephesians chapter 4, because here Paul talks about building each other up. Ephesians 4, starting at verse 12. Prepare God's people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be what? Built up. There's our word. Until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become, what's the next word? Mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. In other words, looking and reflecting more and more of Jesus in our character. Then we will no longer be Infants or babies tossed back and forth by the waves and blown here and there by every wind of teaching and by the cunning and craftiness of men in their deceitful scheming. Instead, speaking the truth in love, we will in all things grow up into Jesus, who is the head. From him, the whole body, joined and held together by every supporting ligament, grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. That's the goal of our encouragement, at least in part, to build each other up in love. One of the ways the balcony people in my church family will help me is by encouraging me to go deeper into Jesus, never satisfied with where I am in the moment. They want more for me than where I am. Growing in my love for others, growing in purity, growing in discipline, in my prayer life, in my understanding of God's word, in my ability to tell others about Jesus when I get a chance to do that, growing in my character so that I reflect more of Jesus' character tomorrow than I do today. I have a lot of growing to do, brothers and sisters, and I need to be encouraged by you to keep doing that. And I need to do that for you. Never stop growing. It's one of the forms our encouragement of one another will take. But it also takes another form. It takes the form of warning as well. And this encouragement sounds like sin is so subtle and deceptive. Watch out for it. I encourage you, brothers and sisters, watch out for it. And we pick this one up. If we leave the book of Ephesians now and run to the right once more, find Hebrews chapter 3. I know these verses are on your note page uh, for you to to read, but I I think it's valuable for you to go to these places in your Bible and read them from your page as well. 
Hebrews chapter 3, verses 12 and 13 read like this. See to it, brothers, that none of you has a sinful, unbelieving heart that turns away from the living God. But, and then what are the next four words? Encourage one another daily, as long as it is called today. As long as God's grace is still available through Jesus, as long as it is still a grace day, encourage one another so that none of you may be hardened by sin's deceitfulness. Now, these are strong words for a, for a strong reason. First century Jewish Christians that this writer is, is addressing, they were being persecuted for their faith, and they were thinking about abandoning Jesus returning to their old dead religion of Judaism with animal sacrifices and doing good works as a way of trying to impress God and be saved. And that never works. That never saves, right? Ever. And so the writer says, brothers and sisters, you must encourage each other. You must put courage into one another, like that old French word said. Put courage into each other. And never would that be more true or more needed than when our brother or a sister is discouraged and beaten down like these Hebrew Christians were, beaten down in their faith and thinking, what's the use? I think I'll just go back to the way the world does life. They need to be encouraged. Balcony people never underestimate the power and the deceitfulness of sin in their own life or in the lives of their brothers and sisters. They do not underestimate the power of discouragement and how it has this ability to gradually eat away at a brother's resolve or a, or a sister's convictions. We need each other daily encouraging us to watch out. Watch out. Because there is an enemy who prowls around like a roaring lion, Peter tells us, and he wants to devour any careless unguarded heart watch out I encourage you to watch out so that you can fight another battle and stay faithful all the way to the end and let's not miss that strong sense of duty that's laid on us in the first three words of verse 12 see to it see to it says the Holy Spirit there's no no somebody else will surely take care of this doesn't need to be me who is the see to it focused on? It's on me, isn't it? It's on you. This is not a directive for somebody else to take care of. This is laid on me. See to it, Tim. Don't wait for your brother to, or sister to crash and burn before you think, oh, I better come alongside of them and encourage them. You encourage them by saying, watch out. We simply look for someone who may seem to be slowing down in his or her faith, and we, we offer that person some expressions of support. Perhaps it's a spoken word. Perhaps it's a note. In your bulletin this morning, there is a, a little note card. We call them encouragement cards. We put them in the bulletins about every six weeks. Just an opportunity for you to, to take two minutes and write a note of encouragement to somebody in your circle perhaps inside the church, maybe outside the church, maybe on the, the team or staff that you work at this summer at a camp, what, what, whatever. You take that and you write that note and you, 
and you fold it and you give it to them or you slap a, a, a note on there, a, a stamp on there, and, and you send it off. That's what you do. You encourage them. It's how you say to a struggling brother or sister, man, I am here for you. And, and, and I sense that you're battling, you're struggling. Don't go down that road. That road is not good for you. Hold on to the right course. It's going to pay off. You can trust Jesus. He's big enough. 1 Corinthians chapter 10. We'll put this up on the screen for you so you don't have to turn this time. Verses 12 and 13. The Apostle Paul writes to the church family and he says, So if you think you're standing firm in your faith, you've got it all figured out. Be careful that you don't what? Fall. Yeah. If you think you have your spiritual act together and that you're invincible, man, you better watch out. No temptation has seized you except what is common to man, and God is faithful. He'll not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear, but when you're tempted, he will also provide a way out so that you can stand up under it. Many times God uses the encouragement of a close Christian friend to show us the way out. We can't see it but our friend can see it. Balcony people in our lives watch out for us and they encourage us through loving but pointed warnings. Third, encouragement takes the form of a call to stay connected closely to brothers and sisters in our circle of faith. Speaking to this same group of discouraged Hebrew Christians that we just talked about, the author writes this. If we go back to Hebrews chapter 10, listen to this verse. Let us not give up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but let us what? Let's encourage one another. And all the more as you see the day approaching. What is the Holy Spirit saying? Hey, it's getting darker. Don't try to go alone in this thing called the Christian life. Stay connected. Be together. Now, pastors like verse 25. As a proof text for getting people not to miss church on Sunday morning in a day when many other things compete for that time. We like this verse. And there is a place for applying it that way. You need to be with your church family on a Sunday. But the idea here is way bigger than that. Fellowship at any time. Getting together with brothers and sisters. One or two or three or ten or whatever it is. Sharing a meal together, a breakfast, a lunch, doing coffee, a walk, a barbecue, a game night, a life group, you name it. All of those things would be included here. We do that. We encourage each other when we're together. Why? Because the day is approaching. What day is this writer thinking about? The day that he has in view is the day of the Lord's return. We believe that day is not very far off. But our Bibles tell us that as that day approaches, as it gets closer and closer, and it gets closer every day, as it gets closer and closer, it's going to get harder and harder and harder to do this thing called the Christian life. Paul was writing a young pastor just before his own death for Jesus' sake. And here's what he says to Timothy, 2 Timothy 3, 5, 3 verses 1 through 5. Listen to this. You don't even have to read this. Just listen. Paul says, Mark this. There will be terrible times in the last days. People will be lovers of themselves. 
What is that? That's individualism, isn't it? That is individualism. Lovers of themselves, lovers of money, boastful, proud, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, without love, unforgiving, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not lovers of the good, treacherous, rash, conceited, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having a form of godliness but denying its power. Is that not a commentary on our times? (laughs) It's getting darker every day. Balcony people encourage each other by staying connected, knowing that there is strength and there is safety in those relationships where Jesus is the glue that holds us together. When a brother or sister drops out of sight, something is definitely wrong. Balcony people respond. They pursue. They cheer on. They put their arm around and they bring that person back in. They don't let them stay out there all by themselves. That's what encouraging one another looks like when the days are getting darker. Well, join me in one last place. Back to 1 Thessalonians. That's where we started. Let's go back there one more time. Chapter 4 this time. And let's hear what Paul writes to a church family concerning what happens when their Christian friends and family members die before Jesus returns. They had questions about that in this church, and so Paul answers those questions, and here's what the Holy Spirit says through Paul. Chapter 4, 1 Thessalonians, verse 13. Brothers, we do not want you to be ignorant about those who fall asleep, those who die or grieve like the rest of men who have no hope in Jesus. We believe that Jesus died and rose again. Can you say amen to that? Absolutely. And so we believe that God will bring with Jesus those who have died in him. According to the Lord's own word. This is Jesus talking. According to the Lord's own word, we tell you that we who are still alive, who are left till the coming of the Lord, will certainly not precede those who have died. For the Lord himself will come down from heaven with a loud command, with a voice of the archangel, with the trumpet call of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. And after that, we who are still alive and are left will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and so we will be with him forever. (laughs) Therefore, verse 18, Encourage one another with these words. Yes? Yes. That's that's another form that our encouragement takes. We are reminding each other that, man, we're on a... We know where we're going. We know how the, the, the story ends or really how the story begins. Since our Christian journey, we're just in the, the opening few sentences of the story. The day is coming fast, fellow Christian, without warning. Jesus is going to come back. And he's going to take his church out of this world at a moment in time known as the rapture. Every believer in Jesus who has died and is with Jesus right now will instantly be clothed with a resurrected body, clothed with a body perfectly suited for an eternity with God. And all of us who have not died, who are alive at that moment when Jesus returns, we will meet Jesus where? In the air. And we, our bodies will be changed and we will have that that same immortal body that is perfectly suited to an eternity with God forever. Raptured. 
never to be parted from Jesus again. Encourage one another with this truth. The early church prayed Maranatha. What does that mean? It means come Lord Jesus. Come Lord Jesus. Because we know the story, we have a hope and a future that cannot be taken away from us by anyone or anything. We eagerly look up for that, don't we? And we encourage each other to be looking up as if today could be the day. Living well for Jesus because today could be the day. Balcony people foster a culture of one anotherism in your church. It'll happen. We'll be balcony people if we give ourselves to these things. I want to be a balcony person. Do you? Yeah. I want to be a church family that is cheering one another on as we live for Jesus. Encouragers. Modern day Barnabases and Barbaruses. Got to cover the gals. Barbaruses. Encouraging one another to always grow up and grow deeper into Jesus. Encouraging one another to, to make really smart choices and, 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 and not be foolish and careless as we do this, this life and be trapped in sin. Encouraging one another in a, in a darkening day to share the light of Jesus in fellowship. No solos. We're all doing it together. Encouraging each other to be looking up. Living like today is the day that Jesus comes for us. One anotherism grows in a church family that does these things. Amen? Let's pray. Well, that's what we want. We want that Heavenly Father, Lord Jesus, and Holy Spirit because that's what you want for us. You want us to be encouragers of one another, balcony people, It won't happen without you doing the good work. May our hearts be yielded. We love you, Lord. We really do love you. But only because you loved us first. And all God's people said, amen and amen. Let's stand together.